Hello and welcome to the Long COVID Physio Podcasts. My name is Darren Brown, therapist with Long COVID. And today we have a very special guest. We have Caroline. Caroline, please introduce yourself. Hi, Darren. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, my name is Caroline. I'm a physiotherapist and I work in central London uh, in a community rehabilitation service. Amazing. And apologies. I actually pronounced your name incorrectly there, didn't I? So it's Caroline. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I, I think I say my name is, is Caroline in Dutch. And when I moved from Holland to the UK, yeah. I noticed that people didn't understand Caroline. They thought it was Coralie. So I changed it to Caroline. And then 10 years later, I discovered that Caroline is spelled with a Y. Ah. So then I got lots of people who emailed me and they had my email address wrong. So now <laughs> when I'm on the phone, I say, my name is Caroline. <laughs> when I'm just you know, not on the phone, I say Caroline. So I don't really... Any form of Caroline is fine. <laughs> uh, well, I've got some friends that live in the Netherlands. I've got a lot of love for the Netherlands. Whereabouts in the Netherlands are you from? Yeah. Well, I'm from the north, from a place called Assen. Okay. But I've lived in Amsterdam, which is my favorite city. And I got married there as well. So it's, it's a no, fantastic place. Yeah. I went to a friend's wedding yeah. in Amsterdam a couple of years ago. I've got a lot of love for Amsterdam. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, yeah. Not and it feels like not a, not a big city at all. Mm. It's only under one million people who live oh, there. Cool. And yeah, it's really small. And it's almost like a, it feels a bit like a village, you know, like uh, you have like small streets. And um, yeah, it's really... And lot, lovely bridges and houses and you have to be careful on the stairs though because whenever I go back to Amsterdam and we rent like an apartment in the center um, if I'm not staying with family you know the stairs are so steep Ooh. like lots well, of people hide down the stairs. <laughs> that beautifully segues because it makes me think about the complexities of stairs when living with long COVID. So yeah. I was wondering if you would do us the honour of telling us your story of living with long COVID. Yeah, so I, I was became positive by the end of March, so the 27th of March, together with Boris Johnson, I remember, um, I phoned in sick because I started to feel I had a cough like on Monday and it was um, it was as if I had inhaled something and I had done some sanding I was working on some garden chairs I was sanding and I thought maybe I have inhaled something it, it felt like that there's something in the mid right in the middle of my chest and when I coughed it was excruciating but I thought I felt fine totally fine and I coughed only once a day so I was thinking I'm not having episodes of heavy coughing so it's probably just maybe I'm gonna get a cold you know but uh, mm -hmm. then by Friday five of us uh, we had all helped out on the inpatient unit and 
we all went off sick that that day all together so it was clearly we'd been in contact I think with the same batch and um, so I was my acute episode lasted five weeks well three weeks I think but that I, I went back to work um, on a graded return uh, for those two weeks but really I was so like dizzy and um, not well at all, but I, I could work from home and start to sort of catch up with things. And then I worked for five weeks um, and then I exercised and I had a massive relapse. Um, and the symptoms I had in the acute episode, they, they came back. Yeah, so it was like um, chest pain, breathlessness, um, a hoarse voice, and extreme fatigue, you know, like extreme. I never experienced anything like it. Um, there was this one moment where we, we, the, we had um, a cleaner who was cleaning in our house and she was hoovering right outside the door and she was banging away with the hoover and I, I was literally in some kind of I had slept on the bed and I, I could hear all of that but I was like it doesn't even bother me you know as long as I can lie stay lying down it was so extreme because normally you would think like, oh God, you know, it's irritating, this noise, but it's like... It, it washed over you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could just, uh, I don't know, uh, make a very big noise ne right next to me. And I thought, I'm still asleep. I heard it very much in the background. And yeah, so a very different type of fatigue. Hmm. Um, so in, the, in, in terms of the acute illness, um, I, the first week felt just like a heavy flu. And then the second week, um, I, I had more respiratory symptoms. Um, so a fast breathing, a breathing rate and something I didn't know what it was. And it was later on, I realized it was air hunger. So it's like, you know, when you're running and your chest is, is moving, apical, thoracic expansion, everything, you know, and I had that as I was just sitting down. And I remember thinking, gosh, uh, what is this? Because mm. I was reading a book and my book went just like, like that all of a sudden. So I was like, what, what, what's happening? So I counted the the rate and the rate was 23 so I thought okay the NHS website it says you know um, if it's above 25 you need to call go to A&E so I remember thinking 23 okay um, uh, you know I didn't have a set monitor I, I didn't you know it sort of caught me by surprise as well like Mm. Now, obviously, we know, um, you know, that, that you need to have a SETS monitor. And so maybe I can talk a bit more about uh, navigating care in the... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, it sounds like you've been living with 
so you're a bit like me then so you're kind of in your ninth month is it is, 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 yeah month nine and you had yeah. like five weeks of acute symptoms returned to work and then what happened after that for you yeah so so the week two was the respiratory symptoms week three I had a cardiac arrhythmia as well and a episode of tachycardia and sort of fainting a little bit so an ambulance came and and I was massively dizzy I had I was really dehydrated as well um which with really low blood pressure um I think because you know when your respiratory rate is always up even though I was drinking loads it wasn't enough to to rehydrate and then I noticed on the NHS 111 site they now have other symptoms to look out for because in the in the first pandemic and when you got ill as the first well wave, yeah yeah the first wave they had very and 111 wasn't that it only had respiratory rate over 25 as something to keep an eye on but it didn't have things like no urine output, you know, low blood pressure, all of those palpitations. Mm. Now I notice that 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 is on and that you need to seek help, obviously, yeah. for those. Um, but, but in our wave, uh, 111 didn't pick up the phone or, the, or, or there was a two hour wait. So I was in the hands of the GP. Um, but yeah, in terms of what happened after that, so acute episode five weeks, I went to work. I was still very fatigued, but worked. And then I started to feel better. And this is when I started to run again. And um, it went fine. I thought everything is working, you know, my heart my lungs everything seemed normal so I was super happy and I did another run yeah. the next in two days time and then I thought great now I'm gonna do a zoom class I did a cross-country ski zoom class so that that is my that hobby <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I can't picture how a cross-country ski class works on zoom oh it's lots of lunges and um, lunge. squats and uh, uh arm work as well so because you're Full sort of body putting the so you were really and, testing yourself weren't you well this was I opted for the stretch option first just yeah. to think Let's not overdo it. And then yeah, on the Sunday of that week, I started to feel different again. And yeah, basically that week, over the course of the, that week, I sort of fell, fell apart uh, slowly, but, but fast. Um, in terms of every day, I, could, I became more tired and and sometimes I would at five o'clock when I switch my laptop off, I would literally just fall asleep, like right there and then. And um, yeah, so that was the start of a period of five months where I couldn't work at all. And oh wow, okay, yeah. So you had your acute episode, returned to work, felt good, exercised, and then crashed, as some people. Yeah. Would. And exercise, 
was definitely the trigger. Got you. Definitely. And then you was off work for five months. And yeah. Where are you now in your journey? So I'm now um, on a graded return to work and um, I started to return in November and just with a, a few hours, like six, seven hours a week. So it was extremely low, like much lower than I can, I almost don't dare to say it, you know, like how slow it was, but uh, yeah, like um, occupational health had suggested to start with half a day, or no, four hours, three times a week, four hours, that was their suggestion, but I, I couldn't really sustain anything for longer than two hours, so it made sense to, to start with that. Um, so then I've, I've, I've improved by two or 300% oh, at well, the moment. Lovely. Yeah, it sounds Congratulations. like- Congratulations, wow. <laughs> but it, it means that I'm at 17 hours. Um, yeah. You know, it's still, you think, my God, 17 hours, that is so little. But when you think, hang on a minute, that is a huge improvement and every improvements don't happen every week yeah. or every day they just come every month and and I've been able to sustain a steady kind of line up rather than the, the I don't boost and boom anymore like I don't I have fatigue but I don't crash anymore and I think I'm grateful to my work colleagues and, and my trust for for really understanding this and I think hmm. the reason might be because um, I work in a rehab team and we are treating many patients with long COVID and a lot of my colleagues they they have told me all along they said Carolyn we're treating doctors nurses they're exactly like you Mm. Like, don't worry because I said I want to come back I want to come back and they said no we've just had two or three people doing exactly that within two weeks they're off work again so they they have really shielded me and they've encouraged me to really yeah because once you're back in the NHS you, you can't take it easy it's just simply not possible as you know as well. Yeah, very much. I, I do yeah. agree. It sounds like your team specifically and your employers within the NHS have been remarkably supportive. There's um, uh, an international group called the World Health Professions Alliance that represents a range of different health professionals and they've got a policy out or, or a, a guide on out on positive practice environments. Um, and it sounds like you've had exactly that a positive practice environment which is that the they've they've embraced the heart of what the nhs was invented for which is not only to care for the nation but also for its staff and they've done that for you and it's so nice to hear that yeah. despite where you've been and how low you were in terms of your functional capability through this positive practice environment you've been supported to where you are now, which is working, working, it may not be four yeah, hours, but I am, 
I am I am working and the nice the nice thing is that that I feel that I am gonna recover. I've I've always have been really positive, although in the very beginning, I must say, like, oh my God, am I ever gonna get better? Like, what on earth is this? Um, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I shift this incredible fatigue and the breathlessness and the chest pain? Like, what what do I have? And but gradually, as soon as I realized that rest was the key thing I needed to focus on. And as soon as I learned how, how to rest, because as a physiotherapist myself, I often say like, no, just build in another rest period in the day or, you know, exercise a bit less, just pace yourself. <laughs> and, and now I think, hang on a minute. <laughs> Just pace yourself. Have you got any idea? <laughs> Those words ring loud, don't they? Just yeah. <laughs> and Not that bloody easy. <laughs> I, I've said it myself to two patients, and you know, I feel bad now for thinking that it was a, something that you can easily do because you do. You, I've had three different physiotherapists on my recovery journey. I saw a respiratory physio in the COVID clinic. I saw a rapid response physio um, that she had referred to who did a home visit at home. But, you know, and then eventually I saw a respiratory physio, one of my colleagues, because I couldn't shift uh, my breathlessness, uh, my breathing pattern remained really difficult. And they've all said the same thing, like rest. You need to build more rest in. And I remember to the first physiotherapist, I said, well, I do a puzzle, I read, I watch uh, Netflix. And she said, no, rest. And I was like, well, those things are rest, you know, to me, but actually, no, rest means uh, sitting or lying with your eyes closed, thinking of nothing. And she said, you know, what about meditation? And I said, well, even though I do yoga, I'm, I'm never that interested in the meditation part. And I, I find I just can't concentrate long enough on it. And she said, okay, I said, for you, I'll give it another try. And she also said, what about music? Just listen to music. And I've, I've since, um, I, I'm using the Inside Timer app, which is nice. absolutely fantastic. It's free. Yeah. And you can listen to waves, you can listen to rain, you can listen to sounds. And when you the hear- Sounds of nature, it sounds delicious already, doesn't it? I, mean... I know. And, <laughs> And that means that you are not gonna think, oh, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Have I, you know, you, you, the checklist that you have in your head, you need to switch that off as well. Mm. Complete rest because fatigue is not only physical, it's um, emotional and cognitive as well. And that, that was a huge 
of course, I knew this being a physiotherapist, but I wasn't aware that 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 it was this important. I'm so pleased that you've said that because I think that that clarification on radical rest, uh, whatever you want to call it, actual rest, and the the process of still being what we might have thought was resting is still is still active cognitively physically emotionally doing puzzles watching telly those sort of things are are, are not proper resting are they so i'm so pleased that you've shared yeah. that and and provided clarity on it and yeah. how it's been part of your journey through this process with what sounds like successfully avoiding what people call like the boom and busts where you have a good moment and you do too much because you're excited in that moment and then you end up yeah. suffering for it afterwards. Um, so it sounds like it's been successful for you in your ongoing recovery yeah, over this nine-month period. Believe me, I really tried everything. I tried to, to push through it. And my way of doing that was... Um, I was became so frustrated by by this fatigue and I, I was like well what causes it you know and also you have to remember that I was never seen by anybody like uh, 111 I couldn't get through the GP they they didn't know what COVID was and I, I saw um uh, very interesting from the Royal um, College of Medicine, a webinar about the GP perspective. And they, um, this gentleman said that they were never supposed to be part of the COVID response. Like 111 was, was trained to deal with everything and hospitals. And then GPs, they were going to continue with community care. So with all the long-term conditions, all that kind of work. So when I phoned them and I said, I, ha I have COVID, I'm in my second week, I now have, you know, severe pain all through my body, shortness of breath, I'm coughing, I'm exhausted, that there was nothing. Like they, they only focused, I, the main reason why I rang, because I had to fill in an e-form first. And my main problem was back pain with terrible pain in my legs. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't lie. I couldn't sit. I could only stand. And it's the funny thing well, is, when, rest, you're, is it? <laughs> when, you're, when you're so fatigued as well, it, it felt oh, like horrible. some kind of new torture kind of yeah. system. But uh, so, yeah, so they just pre pre uh, prescribed cocodamol, the strongest dose. And, um, but they never asked me, and they never asked me anything. They didn't talk about red flags, like, you know, how high is your temperature? How is your blah, blah, blah. At that time, we didn't even know that loss of taste and smell was part of a whole, mm. you know, they they were unprepared, but they did help me with providing that medication. Well, fortunately, um, so much has changed since that time point because we've yeah. learned so much. And we know that now our GP practices are navigating and firefighting this for the majority of patients. And, and yeah. on the whole, I hope 
doing a fabulous job and so grateful for their support. Um, I know even today, I, I personally had uh, a new system for my GP practice where I've been put on a, a COVID watch list and I'm now put on this thing where I get WhatsApp messages to update them with details. Like, to be honest, it's it feels like it's associated more with the acute phase, but yeah. um, you know, you ask a question and, and actually they responded. Uh, and I was thinking, this is remarkable. So the innovation is there and so much learning has happened. Yeah. But, but I was wondering, because I know that your hot topic of this, of this podcast mm. is, is navigating health and care. Yeah. You mentioned a few times services you've been to. I wondered if you could talk to that. Yeah, so um, so navigate in terms of what I received and things are a lot better now um, is, is phone calls with the GP and then they advised as best as, as they could but um, also I think GPs were very limited in who they could refer to because when I had a cardiac episode in the third week uh, and an ambulance came I, I didn't really want to go to hospital because I felt back to normal again and the 12 lead ECG was normal my sets and ops were all good um, and I felt you know they came an hour after it had happened so I thought to be honest I'm fine but then I was supposed to ring the GP the next day and then they um, I needed bloods done initially. One GP had said that, but when I rang back, because you got a different GP all the time, he didn't uh, do that. Or may maybe they weren't taking bloods. That's possible as well. Um, so I sort of missed, missed out on investigations. And um, I, I would say for physiotherapists or other therapists listening, it can be quite hard when, when you are treating people who haven't had investigations. Um, so I navigated that by ringing back, sort of trying to not give up, keep on calling GPs, um, keep on, but also thinking outside the box because I soon found out that my local GP in South London had no connections with the local hospitals they couldn't refer on and also acute hospitals weren't, they were only seeing patients who had been admitted to hospital. So as a group with long, with longer symptoms that were, let's say the acute phase had passed, you still have healthcare needs but the systems are not available. And um, I very much felt that in the first wave. And I think in the second wave, there will be people like, like me who are, who've not been to hospital. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not ill. Mm. Because eventually I continue to navigate my own care uh, through just thinking outside the box. And I was thinking, my local hospital is, has very close connections with uh, the acute hospital in the borough where I work. And they had a COVID clinic. And I heard about this because I work in the borough and we were liaising. So I just asked, could they see me? And 
I was so happy that I said, yes, we, we can see you. And they saw me really quite quickly. And so four months after becoming ill, I was assessed face to face for the first time. And I, I know you probably had the same experience there. And when finally you are seen by a healthcare professional and I, I was so grateful and they, he was able, the respiratory consultant was just able to tell me what he thought happened based on my symptoms. Um, and he said, you most likely had pneumonia, even though my chest X-ray was clear four months later, you, you know, it's, you've had COVID pneumonia. And um, had I known that, had I had a timely assessment, but let, let's say, yeah, had I known that, then I wouldn't have exercised. And that, that is a crucial thing. And for healthcare professionals watching this and you're dealing with uncertainty, don't you? Like when, when the patient doesn't know what they exactly have and there are no investigations, you don't know it either. And I just want to say, I wish I had known. And if, if I'm a physiotherapist who is gonna help with the second wave rehabbing patients, I know just to be very careful because not being in hospital is not the same as not urgent because many people who are not in hospital still have single lobe pneumonia, yep. but they can maintain breathing, they might have low sets in the 90s, but, you know, it doesn't um, mean that, that, um, that they have to be very careful in their rehabilitation. Really important point, actually, and thank you so much for sharing that, because I think in terms of na like navigating healthcare services, it sounds like you've had to be your own advocate and champion, which not only is difficult when you are sick, as we hear from many of our patients all the time, how yeah. energy consuming that is, that process of navigating healthcare. But then yeah. on top of that, that validation from healthcare professionals, um, you, to, to, to echo what you said, yes, I did have a similar experience. Um, I, I was diagnosed with COVID-19 in, in what well, I acquired acute COVID-19 in March and it was by November I saw my first healthcare professional because I'd advocated for my needs through my GP. Uh, my heart rate was doing really weird things and I, I wanted to be seen by a cardiologist and I eventually got seen by one in November. Um, and I won't lie, I cried after that appointment because yeah. my experiences were validated, they were believed and investigations, whether they find anything or not have been ordered and I'm due to have my first cardiac investigation next week. Yeah. And it was meaningful to know that someone was able to start something because as much as I had a fabulous experience with my GP, um, you're right, the, the GPs have been really limited on who they can refer to because yeah. most of the time where everybody is has been in up to this point now really unsure as to what this condition really is and fortunately we're now in a position now during this second wave where we have so much more knowledge so much more understanding and hopefully lessons like 
ours can help those people that are inevitably going to be going through this through this wave in the future um and, and the importance of having a pulse oximeter at home to measure your yeah. oxygen right yeah yeah, I, I, I bought a pulse um, oximet oximetry. I can't say it. Pulse um, oximeter. <laughs> yeah, I call it a set monitor. <laughs> finger thing, finger thing. <laughs> yeah, the finger thing. Um, I bought it too late, you know, but when I had my, my relapse and I was so short of breath, I was thinking, oh my God, am I desaturating during exercise or... I didn't think so because I think what what will be the mechanism of that but I thought at least it's peace of mind and um, since then I gave my whole set to one of my best friends who who actually works on a on a COVID unit a, a high dependency unit uh, an A&E and he became really ill suddenly and I dropped all my stuff off and um and he used it luckily he's fine but i feel like you know i can help out my whole um you know circle of friends i have all the right equipment now and uh yeah but yeah yeah it is um i remember asking the gp like first of all when the ambulance went, left and the next day I had no urine output, I had really low blood pressure, I felt massively dizzy, I drank five liters a day. And all he could say was push the fluids. And I was, I was thinking, gosh, if I were faced with a patient myself like that, I would do a lot more. But I, I do think now they couldn't do much more potentially and it, you know but um I, I guess it's sort of when he said push the fluids I remember feeling quite relieved I think oh great so I don't have to go into hospital but later on I remembered worrying thinking like I, I should have had some cardiac investigation I had a arrhythmia out of the blue now we know there is cardiac involvement, but it wasn't until four months later that my bloods were investigated. And, um, and as we know that from many COVID patients, uh, an ECG and bloods don't show abnormalities until you do a 24 hour tape or an echo. And I, I, I will have my 24-hour take in uh, February. So, I mean, it's almost like a year later. <laughs> and you think about timely healthcare. And in the meantime, all I can say is, because I'm a healthcare professional, I can reason, I can reason through that since my recovery is very slowly going up, I'm improving. I anticipate that my heart is okay, mm. but I do want to go to exercise again. So it's like, how do I know if I haven't had baseline investigations? Mm -hmm. um, you know how, and especially I guess the worry because like you, I started to exercise and I had this massive response to exercise. A negative so, response, yes. <laughs> am I going to do this again? 
or not you know i'm gonna have a more cautious approach (laughs) absolutely and i think something you really brought out there was the experience of trying to navigate health services and how challenging it can be. And for some people that are healthcare professionals, but also people that are not healthcare professionals, the the experiences are actually the same. And I don't know that at the moment, we, we, there are lots of people that are still struggling to, to get through at the right time. And that's why having something that you can have at home, especially for those people that are in the acute phases like a pulse oximeter at home is so useful because even as time goes on, if people do develop long COVID, being able to measure their heart rate is important. I know that in previous um, podcasts, we've talked about wearables being useful to heart rate, Um, but the pulse oximeter can do that as well. And certainly we'll put in this, in the description under this video, some links to NHS England's information about how to use pulse oximeters um but also i'm I'm thinking kind of around um for you what would your message be to people around what you've learned through the challenges of navigating healthcare that might be like a tip or advice or guidance Um, well i i think what i would have really needed was what could have helped me i think is to have in the acute phase to have some care at home, like somebody who actually sees you at home, um, sets you up with some oxygen potentially or some IV fluids. Like these are things that are done all the time by rapid services and hospital at home teams. And uh, I know about this because I work in the community, but I wonder if a&E departments are, are actually having the time, probably not, to make those referrals. And, but that, or, or whether this could be organized by GP services, because I do know people with moderate disease, so half of them were in hospital, half of them were at home with nothing. But if you, you can definitely take the edge off by giving oxygen and fluids and also then providing a SATS monitor. Like someone like me, fit and well, fit, young, healthy, and a healthcare professional, you know, I managed myself, but it was extremely hard. Um, and I think if I had better care in the acute phase, would would my outcome be different to I was breathless for six months like would it be different I I don't know Um, and you there's no point in thinking about it because that's not what happened but Mm. I think now people who are in the second wave and who are in A&E with sets of 92 they are sent home and I just wonder what can be done for those people because we are at the height of a pandemic and you know those people would be admitted if we are not in a pandemic but we are in a pandemic and the focus is on very much on acute hospitals but I do think that community services could really help out and maybe even take 
those people on um, low level oxygen on and see them at home and then hospital beds could be saved. Yeah. I wasn't planning on saying this, but it's just rolling out of my mouth now. Well, it's a really valid point, yeah. isn't it? Because obviously the healthcare system is not just emergency departments, A&E and critical care, such as high dependency or intensive care units. There's a whole spectrum of the healthcare system. And that's from hospitals to community to GP practices and more. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There's a whole system response required to manage people across the acute phase, which obviously during this current peak that we're in right now um, is of critical importance. And yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased as well that we can continue to have these conversations about the critical importance of the long-term consequences of acute COVID-19. Yeah. So people living I, with long COVID and the, the care and support that they need in terms of investigations, monitoring yeah. and, and treatment. It's almost like, um, I was thinking about this the other day because I, I, it's almost like if let's say you're in a car crash and you break an arm and the rest of the people in the car are all okay, people will say to you, oh my God, poor you, you broke an arm, are you okay? And But now a different scenario, let's say the crash is a bit worse and all, all the other people who were in the car are on in, on intensive care or, or have died nobody would be re everybody would be saying to you my god how lucky you are you only have a broken arm do you see what i mean and it's the same with um acute covid and you know like just because you had mild to moderate illness it doesn't mean that you don't need health care at all like yes. the person who will would break their arm still needs healthcare, and it's the same for mild to moderate COVID. If if they develop long COVID, um, that's a, a really nice metaphor that I I hadn't heard of before. So thank you. I I'd sort of thought of it the other day. You know, when you when you just think like how can I explain how it feels? You know, it feels like that. Yeah. And when living through these times and both of us working in the NHS through these times and living with this health condition, um, it, is, it is very difficult times for so many people. Um, and, yeah. and keeping the finger on, on the pulse of long COVID is going to be of long-term critical importance as well as managing all of the uh, acute episodes now yeah and so what i really was thinking about what is useful for physiotherapists and other healthcare professionals if you're when you're treating people with long covid you it, it might be a bit shocking because we're sort of young previously fit and healthy um, and you might think what how can I help you know like it feels a bit awkward maybe but I just want I wanted to say all the all the three therapists I saw they've been absolutely brilliant and you can always say something 
that that is of use. And I think because of the uncertainty, the patient doesn't know, the healthcare professional also doesn't know. And I think the really nice way forward might be to form a partnership and see it as like, I, I have been kind to my GP, to the doctors I've seen, the therapists, and they have been kind back to me. And we've tried to problem solve and we formed this sort of partnership. And as a physiotherapist as well, we, we love to sort of do things, sort of do some complex set of exercises or do some suctioning or to put functional electrostimulation on a <laughs> drop. Like, I've always really wanted to do the clearly visible things, you know, like you treat someone's chest and the sets go up, great. You know, that feels good. And having long COVID, um, talking about pacing is probably a big part of your treatment. And I would say it doesn't mean that you haven't done anything. So, so don't feel disappointed that that's, all you're going to do, you know, like, oh, yes. And I have been thinking back about myself as a physiotherapist and thinking, have I spent enough time with patients who had more hidden symptoms, you know, like fatigue or breathlessness, pain, um, or have I branded them as? not engaging with rehab slash not motivated. Okay. You know, I hope not. I don't think I have, but when people have something that you can't quite understand, you, it's not about not engaging. And when Luke, the physio saw me at home and my, I set my goal and my goal was, I went to, I want to go cross country skiing. It's perhaps not not very smart, but that was the long-term goal. And my first goal was to walk for 15 minutes outside. You know, it may not be very interesting as a physiotherapist. It may be a bit, you think, you know, what am I going to do? As a recipient of it, you have changed a lot and have helped me a lot just by telling me again to rest and you know that message as the same message I I I remember sometimes explaining things to a patient and the next day they've done it anyway so I remember talking to my colleagues you know what you know didn't you say this and that well I said it as well guess what? I saw them without their brace or I saw them without, you know, Mm. Um, it takes, you need to give the same message probably 10 times before it sinks in, Mm. maybe even 20 times. And even though I'm a healthcare professional, I needed that message to be repeated. So I, I would say, be be kind and um, 
don't see the patient as not listening or not engaging. I think uh, I always tried very hard to do the right thing, but it was it's incredibly hard to bring your activity down by 90% because mm. that was required for me to start building up again very slowly. That is such a nice message to, I suppose, round up this conversation because that message of kindness, kindness for ourselves, with each other, and in the messaging that we give is going to be incredibly important. Yeah, and don't feel like, don't feel uncertain just as a physiotherapist, just do your normal thing because you know what you're doing. And as long as you're not thinking that a long COVID patient can start vigorous exercise, you're doing the right thing. Just really go for for pacing, go for breathing control and really listen and learn, I would say, because That's what I did. And I, I've never encountered being a physiotherapist for a long time. I, I couldn't really see what was happening with me. And it, it's a new condition and for, for all of us. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really lovely thing to emphasize. Not only the kindness, but the valuable role that healthcare professionals can play in, in honoring people's story and listening and actively listening and validating it Um, but also in making sure that we are encouraging rest and knowing what rest is pacing and and caution with physical activity and exercise because let's face it there's going to be an awful lot of people living with long covid and all health professionals are going to be seeing people with long covid whether long covid is the reason that they're presenting to them because people with long covid will also get other health conditions so yeah. Caroline I want to say thank you so much for this thank and you for thank having you for me your story and yeah. um, I look forward to hearing more about your recovery in the future yeah so thank you very, thank you very so much. much and you too and I'll speak to you soon